What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode six of the Did You Hear podcast. I am Emma Houghton alongside Pat Zhang. And Pat, we are in the middle of winter meetings right now. Man, it feels good that it's winter meetings time. One of the more exciting times for baseball. Things can really start cooking now on the hot stove, or at least, God, I hope so. Um, cause it has yeah. been a slow start to the off season so far. We did have a move go through today that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but you know, it, it's exciting to really, this is a time every year where baseball kind of shows back up in the, in the newsfeed and, uh, it feels good. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how much more fandom baseball would have if it's off season operated, like the NBA off season or the NFL off season. It's just being in the storylines, having these quick deals but you know that no matter what happens in these next few weeks, we're going to wait until February to get a big deal. That's just always how the MLB works. It's so interesting because you're right. I mean, look at NFL, NHL, and NBA free agency. It's all, you know, over one, two, three days. You kind of yep. know where everyone goes. And in baseball, if you get a signing before Thanksgiving, it's shocking. Yeah, and you're probably not that good. <laughs> That's the way it's worked out. <laughs> it's true, and it's it's very strange. But like you said, you don't see these things until after the winter meetings around Christmas time, January, February. Some have even gone straight up to spring training. Yeah, where you see it. So no, baseball is kind of a weird sport in that with their off season. Yeah, um, Kimbrel a couple years ago held out until halfway through spring training, and then he was all messed up for the season because he didn't get the time in in, in the spring. That was yes. weird. You got to love how detrimental that qualifying offer can be for some players <laughs> yep. sometimes. It's just baseball's free agency is just wacky and weird. I mean, think about it. You have to be in the league for six years before you can even hit it. Going yeah. through having your contract just renewed or not renewed and going through arbitration process. Like base, baseball's contract process is just a strange one. It's unique to the sport. Uh, it's part of the uh, quirkiness to it. Um, but it definitely makes for an interesting offseason. Yeah, and it gives us a lot to talk about. So we always like that. Make Absolutely. sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod. Like, like, rate, review, subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts, all that. Make sure to keep uh, following us on Twitter. If you have those, subscribe. If you put that subscribe button on, you will get our special edition Villanova basketball recap episode. So we had our first one up this past Sunday, Villanova's win over Texas. Next one will be this Friday, as long as, fingers crossed, the schedule stays the way it is. But fingers those have crossed. been really good. Yeah, fingers crossed, for real. But um, should we get right into it? Yeah, let's let's start things off in the spirit of the winter meetings. The, the ghost of winter meetings past is the go- Christmas spirit, I guess. <laughs> so, of course, this year, winter meetings are virtual because of the pandemic, but so far, we're getting just as much activity as we normally would. It's not the same because no, not everybody is loitering in the, the infamous hotel lobby, like always. But Lance Lynn came down, Adam Eaton came down, Carlos Santana came down. But Pat and I wanted to start this episode with talking about the past. Let's talk about the biggest winter meeting deals Mine is in our lifetime. I'm not sure about yours, Pat, but one that Mine is I, too. Yeah, not necessarily that I remember but was in our lifetime and I think really changed the scope of the game. But to give us some perspective about how important the winter meetings are, Pat, give me your your biggest deal to look back on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And mine is actually not too long ago. So mine goes back to December of 2014. And why I pick it is because of how impactful it ended up being. And that's John Lester when he signed with the Chicago Cubs on six years, $155 million. And why it's so important is because it's exactly what the Cubs needed at that time. They needed someone to come in and be an ace. And he worked really well with Jake Arrieta. I mean, you look over the length of his deal, two NLCS appearances, one World Series title, of course, famously breaking that curse in 2016. He was a two-time All-Star, 3-6 ERA, pitched over a thousand innings for them. Yes, he was not as effective over the back end of that contract, but I don't think Cubs fans really care after bringing home (laughs) a World Series. Yeah, exactly. So just looking straight on impact and straight on just filling, filling a need so perfectly... John Lester, when he left, remember he was traded from Boston to Oakland that season before, would pitch really strong down the stretch for the Athletics and then went to the Cubs and was a foundational piece for what ended up being a World Series winning team. Yeah, and that's a cool story. And he's also 37 now. So talking about the last few years since 2016 when he was was the ace. But the current free agent right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, come full story, he is now a free agent. He could reunite in Boston. Maybe the Cubs re-sign him, but I like that. Lester was actually in my top three to talk about because I think the way that the World Series panned out proves how important that deal was for the Cubs. Oh, I, I totally agree. So mine is similar. The first one I thought of was in our lifetime, but we're not going to remember it. And that was when Alex Rodriguez signed for 10 years and $252 million to the Texas Rangers. So that one stuck out to me because of the magnitude of the contract. And those are the big contracts we see now. This is the $330 million Bryce Harper contract, the Mike Trout contract, the Mookie Betts contract. So I feel like that A-Rod one really set this trend into motion of paying these top-tier players pretty much in the mid of their career and then seeing where it pans out there. But I wanted to mention that one. The one I really want to focus on is similar to yours, actually. Few years after, Chris Sale to the Red Sox from the White Sox. And the reason is the the same reason as yours, the ramifications of what Chris Sale did in Boston. So Dave Dombrowski comes in. He is hired to win a World Series, and that's exactly what he did. And the biggest part of that was getting the ace in Chris Sale. He ends up throwing the last pitch of the 2018 World Series. Just a really cool story there. They also just recently extended him. He was He's dealing with the surgery, so he might not even play until July this season. So that was a huge reason why the Red Sox struggled this year too. But same reason as you. The ramifications of what Chris Sale's skills brought to the Red Sox pushed them over the hump and helped them win that World Series in 2018. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because sale was actually the number two thing I put on my list for for what to look at and why. Again, ramifications. First, I love looking at sale because he is the reason behind the rise and the fall of the White Sox or the White Sox of the Red Sox. Obviously, the ace of that staff when they won the World Series in 2018, but also that contract extension really hamstrung them and forced them into trading Mookie Betts. Oh my so God. it goes it goes both ways there with why it's interesting and why it's also interesting is that 
that winter meetings move was a trade. It wasn't a free agent signing. So going back to the White Sox in that deal was Jan Mankata, who has been a very solid young player for them that could really look to break out and become a star any season. I and wonder about him always. I it's I teeter back and forth whether I think he's going to be an all-star or he's just going to be a good player for them. Mm-hmm. So he's interesting. And Kulpik as well missed all of this season with, with Tommy John surgery, but an electric arm that the White Sox are really excited for. So that sale deal had so many lasting implications to it. It brought a World Series, so that's all that matters. I'm fully behind that. But man, it's interesting to look at the ripple effects a couple years down the line. Yeah, and this is going to bring me down a huge tangent that is not appropriate for this episode, but <laughs> the... The reason Dombrowski's job was to win at any cost. And the totally. cost was the entire farm system and hamstringing this this organization for years to come. And that's where we are right now. So it's it's the give and take. For a organization like the Red Sox, who have had many World Series, it's different for versus the Cubs, who hadn't won in, I think it was 108 years, right? I believe so. So it's different, but it's still... People are going to look back and wonder if that was the right decision. You automatically say yes because of the World Series, but we'll see how good Mankata is. I'm always thinking about that, so I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I agree that I think people get a little too revisionist history on it and say, was it really worth it? As long If you won the championship, it was worth it. If you brought home a World Series title, it was worth it. It is just interesting to look back on the trade now a couple years down the line and see how it's A, affected the Red Sox, and B, kind of set up the White Sox for what could be an interesting run of contention. Yeah, and not for nothing, but Dombrowski got fired. Also that. (laughs) So it obviously worked well for him the years he was with Boston, and now he's unemployed. So yeah, that's something to think about. Again, the revisionist history is so true because they won, and that's it, period. The Red Sox won. Dombrowski did what he needed to do. Same with the Cubs. But Amen. I, I'm going to talk about the Cubs later and where they're at. So we talked about the MLB free agency, the market, and some of the big players in our second episode. So what we're going to talk about here, a little different, we're going to have the winter meetings as a backdrop. Some teams that might make a big splash, but then also generally what teams we're most interested in watching this offseason because we still have a couple good weeks to go. But before we even get into it, Lance Lynn got traded to the White Sox this morning. I woke up to a notification this morning that 33-year-old Lance Lynn was traded to the White Sox for a pretty highly touted prospect, Dane Dunning, in the White Sox organization, and then another prospect, Avery Weems. So what were your, what were your initial reactions when you saw it, Pat? Yeah, Dunning is one of the more um, praised prospects in Chicago's system, or pitching prospects, I should say. But it's a deal you make, in my mind, 100 times out of 100. I mean, I feel like this was a no-brainer for the White Sox. And I also feel like Lance Lynn could have fit in on a number of teams. I mean, look at around baseball, the teams that could use a pitcher like him. San Diego, Toronto, the Angels, ends up with the White Sox, the Yankees, the Mets. And at an $8 million salary... For someone that pitched so well last season, which he was, he finished sixth in the Cy Young voting. In 2019, he finished fifth in the Cy Young voting. I mean, Lance Lynn is a solid guy. He gave you 13 starts this year in a, in a, obviously a COVID shortened season, 84 innings. He's a solid pitcher and he's what the White Sox need. So they're going to be able to pair him 
with Giolito now, as I mentioned before, works in perfectly. They're excited about yep. Kopik coming back as well. You feel when you look at the White Sox pitching is kind of where things are thrown up a little bit, and you put your hands in the air and say, okay, they have an okay pitcher at this point in his career in Dallas Keuchel. Giolito really broke out last year and led towards the top of the rotation. Kopech, you think, has mounds and mounds of potential. Now you add Lance Lynn, just a solid rotation guy that can pitch towards the top end of the rotation. I love this deal for them. I do too, and I, I couldn't even believe that there are some people who didn't like it, but I actually think you are underrating Dallas Keuchel. I think he is a solid, solid three guy behind Lynn now. He finished top eight in, in Cy Young voting this past year, top seven maybe. Shane Bieber was obviously unanimous. Actually, it might have even been, he might have been top five in Cy Young voting this year. He was better than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. I will say that. I know when they first signed him, I thought it was a little strange. Because he's older. Yes, yeah, exactly. But I mean, he had a sub two ERA, yeah, to be he, fair to Keiko this year. He, he was very good. He year. finished fifth in the Cy Young vote. Yeah, fifth. So I think now that top three is really good. Giolito, if he continues to turn into what he was this past year, is really promising for them. But I think Lance Lynn is supremely underrated, especially at the cheap option that he is. I can't believe somebody didn't get to him first. The number that I look at as most important for him right now, even though he's 33 years old, he leads the majors in innings pitched since 2019. So since, since he came to the Rangers, he has led the league in innings pitched. And for some reason, people to con- continue to not talk about him. Isn't durability what you look for in a starting pitcher and an ace? It doesn't matter how old you are, barring an injury, he has now had a 32-year season and a 31-age season where he's led the league in innings pitch. Again, the the shortened season, but I thought this was a great, he has a high strikeout rate as well. He does give up a lot of homers, especially at Globe Life Stadium. It's a little concerning because that stadium is so massive and he was still letting the ball fly, but I think this is just another notch in Chicago's mindset that is we're gonna win this year and even though we have Tony La Russa maybe even because of him we're gonna make a lot of splashes and now they pair Lance Lynn the veteran with their young up-and-coming stars in Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yohan Moncada etc and I'm excited about the White Sox. Yeah, listen, I as I said, I love this move. I think it's a no-brainer. I think they did really well on the haul here, and they will absolutely be a team to watch because I know they're looking to add especially another outfielder. I know White Sox fans are looking at George Springer. I will be shocked if Springer doesn't end up in Toronto or New York, yeah. but I, I do think that a Jackie Bradley Jr., what would be really interesting, a guy like Nelson Cruz, add mm. him to the DH spot. There's some more offense for you, but yes, pitching is a focus for the White Sox. Going after Lance Lynn, that is a perfect guy. You didn't give up too much. You're not adding too much in salary, and you are adding a super reliable pitcher into that rotation. Uh, This deal honestly gets an A for me from them. Yeah, I agree. The only spot that's really missing in their nine right now is right field. And there are a lot of good corner outfielders on the market right now, and the White Sox obviously have money to spend. Hello, Marcelo Zuna. I'm looking at Marcelo Zuna. Oh my God. Even Michael Brantley, if they can switch some things around, he's the epitome of a stable, steady guy in the lineup and in the field. Um, bullpen also is an issue. They have they have some pretty low, low under the radar, guy, radar guys Sorry, that are good. 
but they could go and get a good reliever like hand maybe he's on the market i don't know i just it's scary to me that they're doing this much already and it seems like they're only just getting started yeah i like them and like i said definitely will be interesting to watch how they progress through this off season so moving into it then like we said winter meetings time where things really start to heat up what team are you looking for to either make a move this week or you believe that this week will be the start of where they're going to start to kick things off and make some big moves. Okay, so I really like the way you worded that because the team that I think will make a big splash this winter meetings is the Los Angeles Angels. I think they will sign Trevor Bauer and finally, finally silence all the critics who are saying that they are wasting Mike Trout, which they have been doing. Last year, Anthony Rendon was part of the Steven Strasburg was signed at the winter meetings. Garrett Cole the next day. Anthony Rendon the day after. Rendon and Trout are two of the best position players in the league. And their best starting rotation option is Andrew Heaney. That is not acceptable. That is not acceptable. Shohei Otani is there, but he isn't an ace that you can count on to rack up the wins. He's at like one out of seven days that he can pitch because he's also hitting. You also can't count on his health. No, that's the that's a great point. He wasn't even healthy. He wasn't even pitching a season ago. So I think they go out and they get Trevor Bauer. I think the pitchers after Trevor Bauer really taper off. And yeah, it'd be great to have somebody like Jake Odorizzi, but that's not going to push them over the athletics and the AL West. We are going to have an interesting discussion in a little bit when I talk about my team and pitching. So that, that'll be fun. But no, I... I do think the Angels are prompt to be a team to make a move. I already really like that they went out and added Rasiel Iglesias that was from big. the Cincinnati Reds. He is a very good pitcher at the back end of that bullpen. I'm actually pretty surprised Cincinnati moved him. because Cincinnati's he, in a weird stage right now, they, too. They are. And with Bauer as a free agent, they are in a strange yeah. stage. Um, but I that's a good move, and that, that's going to help out their bullpen a lot. Starting pitching, it's where it starts. It's the middle. It's the end for the Angels. It is the yeah. only thing that they should be looking at this offseason. I do not care about looking anywhere else. I know shortstop's a hole with Andrelson Simmons, but they did just make a trade for Jose Iglesias, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting fit for them. And you know what? It's different, or or, excuse me, it is not different. It's the same style as Simmons, more of a defense-first guy, but different is what I meant is on contract pricing. I mean, you're going to have to pay Simmons. You do not have to pay Jose Iglesias that much. So that's, I think that's actually a smart move by the angels, which is something that you don't say very often about how the angels are run. (laughs) No, they Um, have that. They have the new GM. I think he's automatically proving that they're, this is what they're going to do. They don't need position, positional flexibility. They chose Iglesias over Simmons, over Marcus Semien, who is rumored to get a hundred million dollar contract, which I saw that and just, absolutely scoffed because i think that's way too much for Simeon. it's a lot for simian i like simian but not at 100 million. not at 100 million but yeah i i think Rasiel iglesias is actually a huge move he has the most multi-inning saves since 2017 that's ahead of josh Hader, kenley jansen or oldest chapman all those guys he is underrated and he has a really good fastball so i like that they're working from the back and now they're going to fill now they're going to fill in so now they can find an eighth inning guy a seventh inning guy those bridge guys and then dear god find mike trout a good pitcher to work with please yeah you're so right and to, to your point too with the, the multi-innings i mean there's nothing more important come playoff time than having solid relievers that can pitch multi-innings there's yeah. nothing more important than that you you need it 
in the postseason, and that's where the Angels need to get. I know, obviously, the focus of the Angels is to get there because they just do not go there, and that's with, as you said, two of the best position players in the entire sport. Mm-hmm. But, man, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, you look at it and you say, good, a bullpen addition here. You have to address the rotation, and this would be the week to do it. Let's see what else they got. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Okay, so that's the team that I think is literally going to make an acquisition in the next few weeks at the at the winter meeting, the next few days. The team that I think is going to use the winter meetings as really a move to show what direction they're moving is, is the Chicago Cubs. And it is not a good direction that the Cubs are moving in. So my did you hear centers around Theo Epstein, who is the the former president of baseball operations. He spent nine years with the Cubs. He was the youngest GM ever to be hired by the Red Sox before that. He steps down. He's absolutely beloved by the entire baseball world. He basically just needed a break, point blank. He wanted to take some time. And he seemingly got out at a good time because the Cubs are going to struggle. But my did you hear is that Epstein's first round picks in 2012 and 2014 were both non-tendered on the same day. And his first round pick in 2013 is likely to be traded before the season begins. So all of this groundwork that Theo Epstein built in his nine years there is brick by brick, slowly by slowly and slowly being taken down. The first round pick in 2012, Albert Armora Jr., Jr., who was never able to get anything done offensively. He's a decent center fielder, but that was an obvious non-tender for me. The one that was less obvious was Kyle Schwarber, who was the first round pick in 2014. We talked about it a little bit off mic, Pat and I, about the situation that we're in and COVID and how all of these teams are facing financial struggles that they might not have had to without COVID. So just as a disclaimer, 56 players were non-tendered and sent into free agency, which is about 10 or 12 higher that maybe should have. So Kyle Schwarber, and then of course, the first round pick in 2013, Chris Bryant, who is, along with Francisco Lindor, probably the most attractive trade chip going into this season. No, I, I agree. And honestly, the biggest the biggest sign that this is no longer Theo's team, obviously, of course, the fact he's not there anymore, is that Kyle Schwarber was non-tenders because Schwarber was his golden goat. He loved Kyle Schwarber. The amount of interviews he gave talking about Kyle Schwarber and how much potential he thought he had and how good of a hitter he thought he was, it, he just raved on and on and on about him, which is why I was pretty... I know he's not there anymore, but I was surprised when Schwarber was let go. He was scheduled to make around between 8 and $9 million for a guy that's a pretty consistent 25 to 35 home run hitter. I'm not sure you can justify letting him go when you have him under team control like that. I I think that that's a brutal penny-pinching move. Um, And then looking at this core, I do think Chris Bryant goes this offseason. I think what ends up happening is that the Cubs try to build again now around Rizzo is their guy. He's their captain. They love him. And I believe they're going to keep Javi Baez as well. They Obviously, Baez is going to be on a bunch of money. But that's why I think Bryant goes out to try to clear up a little bit of money. Lester's contract's off the books. I think that's how you see them start to ease a little bit of the financial burden. And then it's interesting how they try and rebuild this thing. The, the question that I want to be underlining this whole talk 
is if the Cubs can't pay Kyle Schwarber $8 million, who can? You're telling me the Chicago Cubs can't play can't pay Kyle Schwarber $8 million. Completely with you. I don't Come get it. Come on. I don't get it. I really don't. I, I really think that why it happened is because they know that Javi Baez has to get paid soon. He's a free agent in 2022. I think I'm not the biggest Baez fan in the world. It seems like the Cubs are. So I believe they're going to extend him. I believe they stick with Rizzo, like I said. And so I think they kind of cut bait on, on Schwarber and I believe Brian's next. So so if you're stepping into their shoes and you can even take it personally too, you would rather have Javi Baez than Chris Bryant. No, I would rather have Chris Bryant than Javi Baez. I think the Cubs are going to pick Baez over Bryant. Yeah. It's an interesting pick. So so I, I brought up some numbers on Bryant. The unfortunate thing for the Cubs to be in the position that they're in Chris Bryant had his worst career year, so his shop value is he definitely as low, did as low as it probably will ever and has ever been. He was the rookie of the year when he came up. He won the MVP the year after that and led the Cubs to the World Series win. He was the College Player of the Year in college. Like every single stage he's been in, he's won the best award. He has been unbelievable this season. In 34 games, he was dealing with an injury. He was abysmal. He he really he had a .3 WAR. He had four homers, a .206 batting average, zero stolen bases, which I think was important because it just shows that the athleticism was down and he just wasn't able to capitalize on anything else outside of the box. But his on base percentage was 90 points lower than in 2019. His slugging was over 150 points lower, and his OPS was 150 points lower too. So those are the three numbers, the slug and the OPS especially, that really stuck out to me because Bryant is a career almost 890 OPS hitter. Last year he was 640. That's just, that's too stark of a difference for Bryant to not come back from. And I think, sure, you trade him because of the financial hole that they're in, which again, I think is ridiculous because the Chicago Cubs, but... Sure, maybe you see him as the tradable asset, but I think if the tra- if the Cubs trade him, they will regret it in a few years. Just like we were talking about in the winter meetings. Chris Bryant is going to rebound, and the Cubs are going to regret trading him. Oh, I, I think so too. I mean, if they're really going to make the decision for this franchise off a 34-game sample with Chris Bryant, for a guy that, as you have outlined, has been so excellent throughout his career... <laughs> It scares me for the direction of them. And yes, as you're absolutely justified in talking about how bad Bryant was. He was awful. I mean, look at his OPS plus, one of my favorite numbers for, for judging hitters. 100 is league average. He was 73. So he was well below average. Significantly below average. Well yeah. below average. But it just, it feels like the writing's kind of on the wall that yeah. they're going to move him. It was and the same exact thing with Mookie Betts. Yeah. Same exact thing. The writing is on the wall. And as a fan... Or as a baseball fan, you're wondering, but wait, you have this guy for another year. And you also have Rizzo and Baez and you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks and Kyle Schwarber. And why can't you win it next year? What's stopping you from winning it next year? From going one more round with these guys? That's just what I'm having trouble wrapping my head around. Because here's the thing. If you're not going to take somebody's good numbers from the shortened season into account because it's a quote-unquote fluke year only 60 games whatever then you can't take the bad numbers from the shortened season either 
You can't yep. have one and the other. And that's that seems like how people are judging Chris Bryant's season, even though it was 34 games. 34 games in a 162-game season is so insignificant. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's it's the Cubs are so interesting to watch because if they do go all in on this and they hit the reset button, I mean that I think that's a tough pill to swallow. I cuz I don't think they have to do it. No, I, I, and for I, one of the most dedicated fans ba- fan bases out there, that's going to be a horrible pill to swallow. I think they could look or could have looked to just upgrade pitching and really look yeah. there and run it with these with these position players and look to upgrade in center field. And, and, you know, maybe you move Wilson Contreras for some pieces. Like there were other options here. Now, yes, listen, they have not traded Chris Bryant yet, but the Schwarber non-tender really signals some, some murky waters to me. And it's because he's that, the energy guy, the franchise guy, as you say. And so I, I, I completely agree. It was a bad look about where this franchise is going. Just to wrap this up and now to talk about the core that the Cubs do have, let's just say for now that, that Bryant is dealt. They, they're paying you Darvish $62 million through 2023. Jason Hayward, $65 million That's the one through that really 2023. Hurts. So again, you're choosing to pay Jason Hayward over Chris Bryant. Rizzo through 2021. Craig Kimbrell through 2021. Kyle Hendricks through 2023, which I think is... One of the, the few bright spots. Definitely. And their other guy is David Bodie. So it's just, it seems like a mismanagement of players and maybe a, a confusion over what the vision of this team really was. Because in 2016, when you had that core of all the guys we just said, Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, Hayward, Schwarber, you're thinking, all right, this team could maybe run it back two or three times. This core, through 2021, two or three times. And all of a sudden, we're thinking that the biggest deal the Cubs could make in the winter meetings is dealing you Darvish or dealing Wilson Contreras. And I just think if if the Cubs can't pay these guys, who can? And that's a bad look for everybody else. Yeah, it's it's a stark difference than what I, I think they should have gone with their franchise direction. And maybe it's part of why Theo's not there anymore. As, and, and then Jed Hoyer is now running the show there is that they didn't see eye to eye. And, and Theo saw this as his way out. So this will be very interesting to follow over the next couple of days, weeks, and months. Yeah, that's a good point. And Jed Hoyer is very well respected. He so is. So it wasn't he like there was some, some major upheaval when Theo left that it wasn't going to fall into trusted hands. Jed is, he has those trusted hands. Oh, he's but been he, the 1B to, to yeah. Epstein for basically his whole reign there. Yeah. But it'll be interesting. I'm super curious to see about Bryant. I don't think he'll go to any division competitors i'm seeing the nats maybe the yankees maybe which would be dangerous but bottom line i see bryant resurging and in a few years the cubs could look back to the 2020 winter meetings and think oh man we might have we might have blown it there i i'm with you i'm with you so ready to get into some fun with my teams yeah i'm so excited so just just quickly a team that i think you could look to see make a splash this week would be the toronto blue jays they seem to be in on a bunch of these top free agents. You hear them linked to Springer. You hear them linked to Rio Muto. They think that their window to compete is now. Obviously, they were just you know in the postseason. They've got an impressive young core there. But where I really want to watch Toronto is on that trade market. Mm. I mean, look at Francisco Lindor. 
that's an attractive piece. I think Chris Bryant to Toronto is possible as we just talked about that. They seem like an interesting landing spot. So I do think you're going to see something from the Blue Jays pop up soon. Um, and I think it's going to be something big, whether it be in free agency or the trade market. But the team I really want to focus on. Wait, wait, on, can I just say something Oh, really yes, quick? please. I know that you and I could spend an entire episode talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. I love like, the Toronto That's Blue Jays. how interesting they are. Yes. Pat, they're $113 million under the luxury tax threshold. That's how much space they have to work with. With their core intact. And the positional flexibility is such an admit an advantage for them. So where it's whereas it's a disadvantage for the Angels because they're locked in and they don't have any pitching strength, you have Hunju Ryu, you have Nate Pearson, you have Robbie Ray, you have Biggio, Guerrero, and Bichette on defense. So there's so many ways that the Blue Jays could go. I actually, I'm interested that you said Lindor because he's actually the one guy that I don't think they need. I think they would rather have LeMahieu over Lindor. Yes, I, I do agree that I think LeMahieu fits them like a glove. Yeah. But I do think that they could be in with with Lindor. Just because of how good Lindor is. I mean, he can fit anywhere and you can move Bichette around. You can move Biggio around. But also something to watch, I think Guerrero has a comeback year next season. He's dropping the weight. He's going to be much more versatile at third base, especially if they get another positional player. They can maybe move him around so that he has less pl- less pressure on defense. And I think he starts absolutely crushing the ball. Yeah, I'm excited for him and his future, and I'm absolutely not counting him out yet. I mean, think about how young he is still. I mean, he got called up early yeah. to the big, so give give him some time. Maybe he won't be at third base if they trade for Chris Bryant, but mm. <laughs> but no, oh he's God. got some There's flexibility There's so many different there. things. So like many that, different things. And that's why Toronto is so interesting. Yeah. So absolutely a team to watch, but... The team I really want to focus on that I think is going to be very interesting, you could see something here this week, but more so over the length of the offseason, is the San Diego Padres. It It's go time for them. It is as simple as that. Now is the time for them to go out and make this team better and compete. I mean, look at that. They were 37-23. and 23. That would have won every other division in baseball other than their own and the American League East. Oh my God, that's wild. If you look at their numbers offensively, they were fourth in runs per game, fifth in home runs. Hell, they even were first in steals per game. Fifth, they were the fifth lowest team in strikeouts per game. Like this team puts the ball in play. They score a lot of runs. They're a heck of a lot of fun to watch. It, it's really exciting. Like we all know that lineup. Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Trent Grisham, who I think is one of the better players in baseball that just doesn't get any respect out there in center field. Will Myers bounced back, had a really good year. Eric Hosmer's out there. The big thing for San Diego is pitching, 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 just like we said with the White Sox. It doesn't was, seem to be every single team at this it, point. Just like we said with the Angels, it's so funny because I was smiling as you know we're, we're talking through that because I'm thinking it is really the same exact thing here. The Padres have to have to upgrade their pitching, but the thing is, it's not like their staff was a disaster last year. They were in the top 10, top 15 for a lot of key statistics. The problem for them is that Mike Clevenger's having Tommy John surgery, and Clevenger's out for the season, and that was their big acquisition. I think if Clevenger hadn't gotten hurt when he did, the Padres could have made a serious move in the postseason. Serious oh, I, move. I do too. It just, that crushed them. It, yeah. It, it crushed them because looking at their pitching staff, Denelson Lamette is their ace right now. You know, Lamette made some pretty big strides 
in his age 27 season. I was really impressed with him this year. He pitched to a, a 209 ERA. I mean, the strikeouts were were there at 12.1 per nine. Like he's a solid pitcher. That changeup is filthy that yeah, he has. He was up there in NL Cy Young voting too for a while before Bauer and Darvish all really came onto the scene. But he when finished I, fourth. He finished yeah, right fourth. outside the the top three finishers. The fact that he's 27 concerns me a little bit. I actually thought he was significantly younger. And by significantly, I'm significantly, I mean like 25. That sounds <laughs> significant. <laughs> but I was very encouraged when I saw that San Diego signed Clevenger to that, that extension. Because that means he's going to be there. Clevenger had a huge season before he was hurt. And I think that's really big for them. I think... He's going he's gonna to be an anchor in that otherwise kind of up-and-down Padres rotation. I like Chris Paddock, but he's got to figure out who he is as a pitcher. I think that could be the breaking point for the Padres this season. Yeah, listen, it was a smart move by A.J. Preller to, to lock Clevenger into his last two years of arbitration, to just not even have to deal with it, don't have to worry about tendering or anything. Put that contract out there. He's going to miss all of next season, but the season after that, you're going to have Clevenger back. And I think that was a really savvy move and just just smart by them to lock that in. Yeah, but I'm so excited to watch the Padres' offense too. Also, uh, Jake Cronenworth, he's another Jake, super underrated guy. One of the better rookies. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, poor Trent Grisham. If he hadn't had that error when he was on the Brewers, I know. I know. His, his career could have been completely different. But he, he really turned things around last season. I think this is... He's going into only his third season, correct? He was a rookie on that Brewers team. I believe so. Yeah, yeah Grisham. He, he was only a part-time player then, too. That was also what was so sad about it. But I think uh, Tatis is going to be a MVP favorite. Machado is going to be an MVP favorite. Will Myers is really, really good, and he's really versatile. Eric Hosmer, I think if they sign, re-sign Mitch Moreland, that could be big for them because Mitch w- was on the Red Sox for years. He's a really good player. He only bats against righties because he's that left-hand hitter, which is a disadvantage. But if you have that universal DH, you might not have a better option than Mitch Moreland. Yeah, so he'll be an interesting one to follow if they do choose to bring him back. And I apologize for gushing so much over Grisham because Grisham's a good player. Grisham's not a great player, but he does excite me because, like you said, he's so young. He's going into his age twenty-four season. Yeah, he just he just had a ten homer, ten stolen base season in only the you know the sixty games, but pretty solid center fielder. Other than the error going back to Milwaukee, no, he's a solid leadoff <laughs> hitter too. In that lineup that has a really strong two, three, four, five. Grinch, Grisham is a good leadoff hitter. No, no, I I agree. So looking at the other pitchers, Zach Davies, again, a a pretty solid addition there by Preller coming over again from the Brewers, pitched really well for San Diego last year. Again, we'll say it for every single time when we refer to last year, small sample size, but a 270 ERA, again, just, just consistent for them. As you said, you nailed it. Chris Paddock, who is Chris Paddock? You know, is he the guy that was a rookie and lit the world on fire? Or was he the guy in his second season that really couldn't tie his feet down and was just not very good or consistent Mackenzie Gore top top pitching prospect in all of baseball someone who I think that will probably start the season with them this year just because looking for the pitching depth but so as I said pitching is where you go if you look for San Diego you think of one man on the free agent market that is a pitcher that is a stud (laughs) that could end up there but this is where my did you hear comes in and it's about trevor bauer and it's not what you think oh let's hear it you've got your mysterious voice on i (laughs) 
my, my did you hear is for Trevor Bauer for his 2014 through 2020 season. So we cut out 2012 and 2013. He pitched like a total of 30 innings and they were very bad innings. Didn't even want to count that. ERA plus, as I said, I love OPS plus for hitters. I love ERA plus for pitchers. ERA plus basically factors in your ballpark. So your ERA with your ballpark. So if it's a pitcher's or a hitter's ballpark, while also averaging in the the league average ERA. I know a lot of averages getting thrown into one average. That's fun to <laughs> talk about. Um, but basically, again, the easiest way to look at it is 100 is a league average pitcher. For those past years from 2014 to 2020, these are his these are his ERA pluses. 94, 95, 106, 109, 106, 196, 276. Holy. So if you look at that, for five out of the seven seasons, he has been an slightly above average yeah, to, slight, to slightly below average pitcher. Yeah. Now, yes, in the two seasons where he soared, 20, 2018, where he was really good with the Indians, he had a 196, and then this year, which was just a ridiculous 276, an insane, remember, 100 is league average. But is Trevor Bauer really the guy you want to lock in at mega money for mega years? I don't think so. So I think the only way that Bauer fits with the Padres is if it is that one-year deal that Bauer's talked about. Listen, if you want to commit to Trevor Bauer for one year at a high AAV... Go out and do it. You know, it's it's not going to kill you for a year. For a six, seven-year deal at what, Kershaw, Price, Strasburg money? I can't do it. I can't do it. Pat, this is brilliant. That was absolutely brilliant what you just said. I've literally... <laughs> I, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's just I feel so strongly about this on Bauer because I seem to see everyone drooling over Trevor no. Bauer. And yes, he is the Cy Young Award winner. Yes, he had an incredible season. He pitched 70 innings. It is a small sample size. Again, it was incredible. But look over his career. He has been an average, slightly above average, slightly below average, and then can sometimes hit brilliance. That is not someone I can tie my franchise down to with mega money and mega years. I think this. I think the same thing. When he was on the Indians, he was the two or three guy. He did yeah. not really. He came onto the scene when he threw the baseball over the center field fence. <laughs> like that that's when people started talking about Trevor Bauer. And this year he was unbelievable. But I actually like the last thing you said. I think he might do really well signing a mega year, like thirty-two to thirty-five million dollar one-year contract with a team who is competing right now like the dodgers oh my god dodgers padres Mets, like a team like that yeah braves even the braves won't pay him that but but i think that could be and and honestly the padres aren't that team they don't fit that i don't think they had clevenger they might fit that mold and that would be the star power of bauer clevenger lamette davies paddock like that is pretty good but if they don't have clevenger i don't see them taking the risk if they're not sure where their team will land Bowers boomer bust I, and I think I think the smart move is for him to have another monster season and then earn that five six year deal but I don't yes. know Te- teams might not want to take the risk on him like you just said those are amazing numbers that you just had no I I agree and thank you like so that's what we're looking for on this show you know to kind of dive into it a little bit I know people love Trevor Bauer and people want to gush over him I just can't I can't commit it I can't so I've told you what I wouldn't do if I'm the Padres. So what I would do 
is I'd look at that bullpen and I'd say Brad Hand's out there, Liam Hendricks out there, Blake Trinan's out there. I'd love to pick up at least one of them. Let's strengthen the bullpen because Kirby Yates, who I think will probably be back, is a free agent. Trevor Rosenthal was really good for them this year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he had, he's solid. He is. He had one of the worst 2019s like ever and then <laughs> came back to pitch pretty well in 2020. So yeah. if they're going to commit to him, it's interesting. So I get one of those guys. And they have Drew Pomerantz. Exactly. Pomerantz, again, another guy that can go multiple innings. Yeah. I think if I'm looking at the free agent pitchers, I think Masahiro Tanaka is exactly what they need. A steady pitcher for them uh, just to, to come in that rotation and stabilize things because that's what they're looking for because Clevenger's a year away. As we said, it's not like they don't have Mike Clevenger. They just don't have him for this year. So I think Tanaka is a perfect guy to go in. If you're looking for someone along those lines, I think Corey Kluber, depending on the money, could be interesting, Mm. being that he pitched one inning this year and then got hurt. So, man, did that blow up for the Rangers. Um, And then if you kind of want to go high high risk, high reward, Taiwan Walker, you know, or excuse me, more of a low risk, high reward, uh, Taiwan Walker, because I don't think you're going to have to pay him too much, was pretty strong this year for the Blue Jays. So if you want him to try to fill out the back end of that rotation with Mackenzie Gore, I think it could work. And then where you also want to look out for them is on the trade market. I I think a guy like Danny Duffy, Kansas City Royals, one year left on his deal, makes a ton of sense. I mean, I know Kansas City just went out there and got Carlos Santana, but adding a guy like Duffy to the rotation, someone that's been there, done that, a left-handed pitcher, Again, it works. I'm just for San Diego. I'm looking for a guy to stabilize that rotation. What about Sonny Gray? Gray is interesting too. Apparently, the Reds getting a lot of calls on him. Yeah, that's what I was talking about when I'm talking about the Rays. Kind of, I have no idea what their vision is because they put all this money into Castellanos and Mustakis last year, but they're dealing, or they're not dealing Bauer. Bauer left, and now they're thinking about dealing Sonny Gray, who was one of the best pitchers in the National League last season. That's somebody who's going to cost something, but locking him down for a couple years, the Padres certainly aren't scared to spend the money, but if they're not going to compete this year, they might not want to do it. But that those are really good. Kluber, thinking about the Indians too, the Indians had... Just keep naming Indians pitchers, Bieber, by the way. Carrasco, Kluber, Bauer. Oh my God. And they didn't, they didn't win anybody. Now they just keep shipping them off. Kluber, I think, is definitely in the end half of his career totally but he's agree. he's that three four five guy who if he stays healthy can maybe be a durable option but i think he still has some pretty nasty stuff i think i actually hope the red Sox get him because i think he's a pretty good back half option yeah you can't rotation. commit a ton of money to him with the injuries and the age but at this point he's not he's not getting a lot of money he's no i don't think so either so anyway. on a one-year deal i'd absolutely take a shot on him i definitely would and then just two other options i want to throw out there on the trade market josh Hader seems like this could be the Oof. time the brewers finally move him again we're looking yeah. at bullpen and honestly if you're san diego why the hell not would you call tampa bay and say what are you looking for for blake snell mm. why not i mean again a guy that's gonna have to get paid soon if you're looking to go more of the top end of the rotation, I'm saying more to fill it out in the mid mid rotation. But if you want to go top end, I'd rather trade for Blake Snell than commit a ton of money to Trevor Bauer. So just some options for San Diego to look at. One, two, ace and Snell and Clevenger. That would be pretty good. With Denilson Lamette sitting there as your pretty three. Pretty good. Yeah. I'll take that, that. That's it. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. I, when you said the Mets, I thought you were going to go Nick Anderson. Mm, but I, 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 I don't love think Nick Anderson. I don't think Other than the postseason the version of Nick Anderson this yeah. year. <laughs> no, those are good options. Those are really good options. I think 
Hendricks is really, really good. I think Kirby Yates has a bounce back year too. I do too. He was the he was the best reliever in 2018. He was dealing with injuries this year. Yeah. So I, I think it's tough to write him off, and I think it makes a lot of sense for those two teams or for uh, the two parties to get back together. The Padres are just the perfect example of that rebuild. It took them forever. And as a Padres fan, you're still just really struggling until it comes into fruition. But look at this team now who has the farm system, has the assets to make a big move. And at this point, they're grooming talent until they find that impact player, either now in the offseason or at the trade deadline. Because I can see them competing throughout the season and then making an even bigger splash right before the postseason to push them over the hump. And and that's a great point. That's why I think they should look to keep some financial flexibility here and not commit massive dollars this winter. Yeah, they're well coached. They're well managed. I let, The Padres are super interesting to watch. And espe- I mean, potentially even more interesting next year when Clevenger is back. Slam Diego. They're Slam fun. Slam Diego. Yeah, we they, barely even talked about their offense, which is the most <laughs> electric part of about them. They are fun to watch, but... All right, so what is your, moving on then, what is your statistic of the week? Because I do want to start to wrap this thing up. Yeah, I I made it a little interesting this week. I'm going to run through some numbers for you and let you pick the craziest That's exciting. So I had literally too many to choose from. They're all about the NFL, but I'll give you just the numbers. 193, 0, 33, 3,610, or 31. Oof. You know, I'm intrigued. So let's go with zero. <laughs> okay. Zero. Found this one out during the Monday night doubleheader game between the Bills and the 49ers. The craziest number I heard this week is zero because Josh Allen has zero career red zone interceptions. For a guy who has been criticized about his accuracy and whether he can really turn in to a cornerstone quarterback in the NFL. He has zero touch, zero interceptions where it really matters in the red zone within the 20-yard line. I did not know that's that, but that makes me so happy because I am a Josh Allen supporter. Right? And you I see think, that and you're just like, yeah, you know what? He is good. I was right. He is la- good. Last night was a masterpiece from him. I mean, yeah. he did lose the fumble, but other than that, it was just, it was Josh Allen at his best, especially passer-wise. Like, wow, that was, he jumped off the page for me and we could do a whole episode on this. And so I, I was, I came out with a bold statement on Bauer. I can say it with the Bills too. I absolutely think the Bills can make it to the Super Bowl. Wow. I, absolutely think they have the ability to get there and josh out i mean the red zone interceptions are huge they are huge because nothing kills a team more than turning it over when you're about to at least kick a field goal exactly devastating and the fact that he has zero honestly a it really surprises me and b it's really impressive it shows that he's accurate there's nothing more deflating than having a turnover in the red zone but just this year specifically, 2020 in the red zone, 17 touchdowns, a 94% touchdown rate. 94% of the time, the Bills score on a pass touchdown by Josh Allen in the red zone. That is mind-blowing to me. He has a 63 completion rate, 17 touchdowns inside the 10. He's even better, a 64% completion rate and 15 touchdowns. And not even... so. We know he has the passing precision to be that good. He also has 
six rushing touchdowns in the red zone. So this, when I saw that, I thought, wow, okay, Josh Allen really does deserve that MVP consideration that he was getting at the beginning. And now Rodgers and Mahomes have really overshadowed that just because of how good they've been. But Josh Allen in his third season is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I am 100% willing to say that. I love that. That I'm I'm really excited about that. All aboard the Josh Allen train. I'm I'm all in on him. I think Buffalo has their franchise guy. And just again, I understand that this has been an underwhelming year for San Francisco. That was just a masterclass last night from Buffalo, and especially by Allen. That was they just still so have a good defense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Also, some very horrible news. I was up thirty in fantasy. Thought I had the win locked away, and Josh Allen scored over thirty points. So that's, that was that's that was devastating. Deflating. Yeah, that's devastating. Can I say the other ones really quick, just because Please. I love them? 193 games is the number of games it took Aaron Rodgers to throw 400 passing touchdowns. That's the fastest in NFL history. Only six quarterbacks have ever even thrown 400 touchdowns. 33. This one's good. 33 is the number of career touchdowns for Cole Beasley. It's the most touchdown receptions ever. By a player five eight or shorter. I love Go that. Go Cole Beasley. Be- being a short person myself, I absolutely <laughs> love that. But when I saw that, I was surprised because I thought Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, but they're all five nine, five ten. So Cole Beasley reigns supreme. Thirty six ten is the number of yards in Nick Mullins's first thirteen games. I did see this one. That's the third most passing yards in thirteen games. Only behind Patrick Mahomes and Andrew Luck. Nick Mullins is in some elite company. And then the 31 is the number of drops the Pittsburgh Steelers have on the season. They showed some weaknesses last night. To put it nicely. I could do a whole episode on the Steelers. I I think they... (laughs) You talk about bold statements. I think they are quite possibly the weakest 11 and one team we've ever seen. Yeah, they looked very bad. They They do not scare me. Their defense is great. Yeah. They do not scare me. They had some. They had Robert Spillane got hurt last night, which really hurts. They lost Bud Dupree. Minka Fitzpatrick was down for a while, which was also very scaring. I think he's okay now. But to have ten more drops than any other team in the league, and to have—I don't think you can argue this. I think they have the best receiving core in the league. But for some reason, it's they really just—they can't put it all together and look good against bad teams. Yeah, no, I, I, it's so strange because, you know, you're saying like, how are you going to kill a team that's sitting there at 11 and one? And it's not killing them. It's pointing out that they are very human. And if we're talking in the AFC, I mean, Kansas City, I think is still leaps and bounds better than them. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't, before they lost, I still thought Kansas City was leaps and same. bounds better than Oh, them. same here. No, totally agree. So we'll, there'll be an interesting thing to see how they follow up this season. Yeah. All right. Sorry that took so long i had so many that i wanted to no <laughs> you're fine because mine is not going to take long all right um, let's hear it but my number is not a number but a record Ooh. And, and that would be one in seven which is what the new york giants were through eight games now in the super bowl era the worst record by a team through their first eight games to make the playoffs was the 1970 Bengals at two and six as i said the giants were one and seven through their first eight games and Washington, who is tied with them, is two and six. So at worst, that record's getting tied, and at best, that record is being broken this year. So what it kind of stems me into is the NFC East has, you know, obviously it's been a joke all year, and the 
first place teams are still five and seven. So to be clear on, so still <laughs> to be not, clear, they yeah. Still to be are clear, sick. it's still not pretty, but it has turned into actually a really compelling race here down the stretch. And looking at the schedules, Washington is on a three-game winning streak. Closes with San Francisco, Seattle, Carolina, and Philly. The Giants close with Arizona, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Dallas. The the I think the most important thing in this race is that the Giants hold the tiebreaker over Washington that they beat them twice this year. I was just gonna say that because I think it's very likely that these teams either finish at six and ten or seven and nine. All Both of them. All of a sudden, everyone's talking about how horrible the NFC East is. This is the most interesting division to watch. This is what it's going to come down to. And at this point, I wouldn't want to face the Giants or Washington in the playoffs in that first round, the way they're playing. I want no part of either of their defenses. The Washington's defense, that, that front, the front seven is, is so good. And same with the Giants, how they have really come along under Patrick Graham. And Leonard Williams, Leonard Williams, the guy that I crushed in it when they traded for him last year because it just made no sense has now turned into one of the better pass rushers and defensive linemen in the league it's um it's honestly been incredible to watch the Giants defensive transformation and this race down the stretch is unbelievably captivating with how this thing is going to go down to the wire because it's not easy schedules for either team no but then either team or both teams played Dallas and Philly to close things out, which are yeah. obviously not great football teams. Can we get a score check on the Dallas game right now? Absolutely. It's on behind me. It is 17-10 Baltimore going into half. All right. I'm just saying, what if Dallas makes a crazy comeback? But no, no, no. But Daniel Jones coming back, that <laughs> I never thought I would say this. That makes the Giants kind of lethal. Like all of a sudden, Daniel Jones comes back. If he doesn't turn the ball over, the defense is really strong. Wayne Gallman. One of the best running backs in the league right now? He has been fantastic. That's he, a little dramatic, maybe. But he's been very good. He's, he, he's, he's been the great. the center Stepping of that in. offense right now. Well, you know what? I, I could give you another number of the week then. Yeah, yeah give it, it to me. It goes along with the same thing. And that's 143.1. And that's Daniel Jones' pass rating on throws of over 20 yards. That's really... That's, that's number one in the league. That's yeah. not top five. It's not top ten. There is nobody better at throwing balls over 20 yards than Daniel Jones this year. So let's stop the irrational hate that Daniel Jones gets all the time from everywhere. He has actually been pretty good this year. Say it louder for the people in the back. I will say it every time I have to. Zang, the Giants are making the playoffs, and they might even win the Super Bowl at this rate. I'm not sure I'm going to go that far, (laughs) but they have a chance to make the playoffs, and that's good enough for me. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, Pat, we forgot to talk about the, the greatest news this week. Steve Cohen lost two pounds, and he's very excited about it. It, Yes. Uh, The bad news is that nothing's happening, uh, according to him at the winter meetings, and also tweeted that maybe he should give Sandy Alderson a call to see what's going on at the winter (laughs) meetings. But at least the owner of the New York Mets lost two pounds. Oh, my God. That was so—he's the best owner ever, and he's only been it for, like, two weeks. We are in a different world. We really are, that the owner of the New York Mets is tweeting out jokes like that. Yeah. Well, th- those were incredible numbers, and I like that. I like that we brought it back to the NFL because we have some really good weeks coming up. Oh, this is really exciting! And it's why we did the playoff push last week. So if you haven't listened to that, please be sure to go back because I think we gave some really good numbers on uh, on two two teams that both won this past weekend. Yep, and keep building their case, and it should be really good down the stretch. Yeah. But- All right, that'll do it for us here on Did You Hear Episode 6. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod and let us know what you think. Um, 
Also, make sure to subscribe and follow on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. As we say, we post every Wednesday morning for our full episodes. And then after Villanova games, we will be posting reaction next one coming Friday night. But that's it, Emma. Go Cats and go Danny Dimes and go Josh Allen forever. Bill's Mafia.